0: We have been duped by feminism, sexual liberation, and antidepressants. We have been told that we are powerful and free now as women, but we feel tired, wired, and bitter. We're mostly eating right, exercising, and meditating, wrangling to-do lists, and arranging playdates, and yet there's a haunting hollowness beneath the huge complaints What if I told you that there is a huge storehouse, a reservoir of energy inside of you that has not been tapped, that you could feel light and pulsing, excited and alive in ways that a wellness lifestyle cannot deliver, that you could trust yourself, that the world could feel safe and that unexpected and expected delights could start to illuminate your path. No coach, therapist, doctor, or guru required. Just you learning to get real, present, and attentive with you. I feel like I'm here to match make your inner parts for the greatest love affair ever written. I want to help you learn first where you're buying eggs from the hardware store, which is the source of all pain. I want to help you master entering through the upset, which is the only spiritual practice you'll ever need and to get real comfortable putting on your villain crown, which is, in my opinion, the key to true power. And then you'll attune to your inner yes, so you can live the life defined by the specific pleasure of who you are. I am so excited to announce my latest book called The Reclaimed Woman, which is available for pre-order now, So if you head to the link in show notes, you can learn more about bonuses, events, and companion offerings. And I cannot wait to see your gorgeous face on the path. I'm Dr. Kelly Brogan. You may know me as a New York Times bestselling author of a book with an exploding pill on the cover, renegade psychiatrist, pole dancer, or honorary member of the Disinformation Dozen. What can I say, I'm a born provocateur. I've spent most of my recent life exposing deceptions, connecting dots and discovering the secret places my inner victim is still waiting to be liberated. And now I feel called to help you reclaim all of your parts, your health, your sexuality, your power and your expression so that you can finally truly own yourself. I want to ignite in you that inner knowing and the pulsing vitality that lives beneath your disempowerment, disconnection, and resentment so that you can audaciously, courageously, and playfully alchemize your struggle into the specific pleasure of who you are. This is Reclamation Radio, a Soul Fire production. Hi, and welcome back to Reclamation Radio. I am Dr. Kelly Brogan, and I want to take a moment to just celebrate the fact that I have apparently broken through some censorship walls in this endeavor because this podcast was recently identified as being in the top 1% of podcasts internationally. So thank you so much for trusting and interesting yourself in my magic carpet ride. So where my process has led me to recently is the realm of BDSM and conscious kink, which is a somewhat unwieldy acronym for bondage, discipline, dominance, submission, and sadism, masochism. And I certainly do not count myself an expert. In fact, I have been celibate for some time. However, I recognize patterns. I am a trained psychiatrist after all. And that is essentially what we do in the absence of any verifiable clinical testing, we pattern recognize. And I feel that there is a zeitgeist around the culture of erotic connection through consensual domination And so I want to talk a bit today about what I have learned as far as the promise for BDSM, not only as a sexual practice, if you will, but really as a consciousness and as an orientation towards power in this world. So I have been interested in what the hell has been going on in the world over the past three years on a meta level. And one of the frameworks that I have found intriguing to consider is the possibility that as a collective, we are maturing, right? We are moving through an initiatory process and that process is going to lead us to our sovereign experience as human beings, that we are coming collectively from a mentality that is, you know, could be described as warfare consciousness. Warfare consciousness is predicated on victim mentality and the illusion of helplessness that defines the experience of a child. And as we self-initiate, we have this opportunity to come into contact with not only our native and innate power that was always there, but actually our power of choice, which is, in my opinion, the defining feature of adult consciousness. And so As we recognize the opportunity to find ourselves, to individuate, to walk this Jungian path home to ourselves, we also can feel that there is a way that we can access harmony with those that we would otherwise be at war with. And this is not only individuals, it's structures, it's, you know, ideas, it's parts of ourselves. So the individuation process brings us into a non-oppositional, non-referential comportment towards all that is so that we are interested primarily in self-discovery. We are interested in the meaning that is being reflected on the outside of all that is going on inside. And so as we individuate, we come into the promise of complementarity, Of this idea that even though it may seem that there are irreconcilable differences, right? The maskers, the non maskers, the vaxxers, the non vaxxers, the black, the white, the gay, the straight, the man, the woman, right? All these polarities may seem in unresolvable conflict. But what is possible when we move into the embrace of differences, when we begin to explore how the fullest expression of that polarity? affords the opportunity for all of the needs to be met in this new kind of union which is complementarity and that's really only possible like we can actually only live in a functional community when we have properly individuated so it requires that each of us understands not only who it is that we are to the best extent you know available but also What our yeses are and what our nos are. So, what our desires are, what our limits are, then and only then, really, can we come into non strategic, non manipulative, non fear based, trauma induced connection to others and the greater community. So, this idea of the embrace of polarity runs counter to one of the more impactful psyops that's been running, and you can reference an earlier episode of reclamation radio, where I talk about the trap of feminism, which is gender egalitarianism, gender parity. right? So when we live in a world where I, as a woman can do whatever a man can do bleeding, right? Where I can have it all, I can do it all. And I can access exactly the same linear energies that a man can access There is a framework that suggests that I actually relinquish, abandon, and even malign the source of my greatest power, which is my cyclical nature, right? So I could show up to work every single day, you know, 365, available performing and ready to produce, or I can work with the native energies of my menstrual cycle and recognize that there are ways that I can schedule and organize my life for optimal expression and also honoring an alignment with what it is that my body is offering at any given time. You know, I could, as David Data would say, I could ravish a man. But what if what I actually want is to be ravished, right? Then what is it to know that I can ravish a man and try to do that just so that it's like, you know, you go first, then I'll go second, and next time I'll go first and you go second, kind of egalitarianism. When we disappear, the differences between men and women specifically, but you could argue this applies to any polarity. There is a possibility that we lose the potential for true harmony that does not require sacrifice and compromise. So what I have referred to as the assault on Eros and the strategic dismantling of the technology of erotic union has led to a really desiccated landscape of man-woman relating, where we have men who are cowering and apologizing, and we have women who are controlling, henpecking, and micromanaging, bitter, resentful, and disappointed, right? So in the Freudian, you know, sort of lens. We have men who are castrated and we have women who are castrating, and nobody is well fucked under those circumstances. And as a woman, I have become very interested in what it is that we want as women and how it is that we are engaging in gross interference with any possibility that we could secure what it is that we actually want. So this is not about devotional service. You know, this is not about compassion. This is not about altruism. This is actually about recognizing and owning overtly rather than covertly and semi or subconsciously what it is that we want. I was at Weston Price conference and you know, this is a very mixed audience and mixed age group. And I was giving like a PowerPoint talk and at the end someone was asking me a question about gender politics and i was answering the question and i just offhandedly made the statement that all of the women that i know you know the heterosexual women that i know deeply long to be well handled by a trustworthy man and i f- i literally felt heard and witnessed this sensual sigh passed through the 2000 people in the room. And it was confirmation to me that we have been gaslighting ourselves as women and pretending that what we want is domination, power and control over when what we really long for so many of us is true submission. So if you know me, you know that I'm not interested in making like 10,000 caveats about whether or not this applies to you and your sexual orientation and your personal identity and your life circumstances. Take this for what you want. If it feels familiar, like a remembrance of something that you have willfully forgotten, then come with me. Because what I am recognizing is that we have an opportunity as women specifically, but Also across the seeming gender divide, we have an opportunity to reclaim a technology, a very, very powerful, like free energy level technology for collective change and healing. But it requires that we get into our own lanes and that we stop pretending that we are here to be an island unto ourselves, right? And so much of spirituality encourages, you know, that we do it all, be it all, and, you know, take solace in our own, you know, selfhood. And that is very real because until you organize these polarities inside of yourself, you literally cannot access, you won't create the conditions to access and you won't attract proper polarity on the outside. However, what is available through polarized erotic connection is a power for transformation and transmutation that I believe is unparalleled. So when we look at the history of human suffering, it is marked by non-consensual domination. That is the defining feature of war and rape and every transgression that has ever occurred. So what if we have the opportunity In dynamic, in polarized dynamic. And again, I'm going to focus on man woman relating. However, you know, the eternal caveat is that these energies are embodied, right? So they certainly can and do embody in same sex couples. In fact, culturally, same sex couples really put everything that I'm about to talk about on the map. So if I'm interested in working with BDSM as a technology for the healing of, Gender warfare, then that's why I'm focusing on, you know, man woman relating and the opportunity that this kind of orientation towards domination and submission holds for us as a collective. So, in the BDSM rubric, there is a dominant, a dom, and there is a submissive, and you each have very delineated roles. It is the character that you are choosing to play, sometimes just in the bedroom, sometimes in the 24 seven relationship and the conditions that are agreed upon mutually and that are engaged are the defining conditions of consensual domination. And the submissive is in many ways, the one who sets the terms for her own submission or his own submission. Right. So in this exploration of, you know, what Betty Martin would describe as want-tos and willing-tos, the submissive has to develop sufficient familiarity with her own boundaries, with her own limits, and with her own preferences, such that she can document, communicate about, and dictate those to Adam. And as she focuses inward, She has the opportunity to feel in the presence of this bigger energy field, which many would argue is a very direct route to God energy, divine energy, cosmic energy, whatever you want to call it, to feel held in belonging, to feel that you can release and relinquish control, to engage in an experience of your own flowing river of vital force energy. This is what so many who identify as submissives, who feel this maybe secret longing to be well-handled by a trustworthy individual, a trustworthy man. This is what we want. And when we pretend otherwise, we are in this gaslight of self-betrayal. And it's almost like we can't help it because we feel so unsafe in so many dimensions of our lives. That our own reflexes really interfere with the possibility of this unfolding, right? So, when we are in mommying energy of our men, this is not available. When we imagine that we are in a better position to know than our man is what he needs to do at any given moment, this is not available. Nor is the experience available for the Dom, which is to enter into a flow state that is designed and created and administered by his own competence and his own attunement, right? So this superpower that a dominant man has, again, as data would describe it, like a masculine essence man, this cannot be accessed through egalitarian relating. And the most readily available analogy for me is is water in a river bank, right? So if I am in my feminine essence, A watery entity. Without a riverbank, I cannot go anywhere. You know, I've become a stagnant pool and I don't need to micromanage the riverbank. I don't need to know the topography. I don't need to like assess every little bit of soil, rock, and nook and cranny. I know that it's there and I'm going. Right. So this experience that is available through this organization of energies into intentional consensual and conscious polarity can afford the opportunity for true transcendence and all of the integration that becomes possible when you transmute what would otherwise be trauma space into the expansive realm of bliss and embodied ecstasy. And I would argue, as does Carolyn Elliott, who is the author of Existential Kink and one of the esteemed interviews in my Faces of Fears Femininity collection, that we either engage in kink dynamics consciously or subconsciously, right? So for example, if I am a woman who has a submissive orientation, You might not think that because of my big mouth and so many of the aspects of my persona that I've cultivated that seem very dominant, right? Very instructional, you know, leadership oriented. And I have also shared many times that the entirety of the you that you interact with as, you know, a listening member of the public, this is all compensatory, right? So people tell me all the time, you know, how courageous I am to do the work that I am doing. And I'm like, I have to do that to feel safe in the world. (laughs) That's actually part of my elaborate defense mechanism to, you know, make sure that I am in a power position relative to, you know, the aggressor, which is, you know, industry or government or whatever it is. And as I have worked on that, you may have noticed over the years, you know, recently that my energy has shifted. What I have shared with you all has shifted. And the experience of me becomes a bit more confusing, right? It becomes a bit less apparent, you know, what it is that I'm about and who it is that I'm for, against, and fighting. So, all of that is to say that an easy example of how it is that I might subconsciously interact with my submissive nature, my desire to be in the energy of a guiding, leading, organizing, trustworthy masculine field. Is my relationship to like being a a naughty provocateur, my relationship to being punished by, you know, the bad daddy of the, you know, government media insert institution here. So, you know, when I was named one of the disinformation dozen, I, unlike many of the other folks named... I actually was at a point in my own personal integration where I could recognize that I really enjoyed that. I didn't find it threatening. I didn't have any inclination to participate in a lawsuit or to fight it or to even comment on it. I liked it. I like attention, pretty much any attention, but I like attention for being a bad girl. When my first book was blacklisted, a mind of your own I enjoyed that <laughs> actually, right? And I think at that point I can look back and see how there were elements of my experience where I was like thinly veiling that enjoyment and I was in a bit of a like a poor me. But what, you know, Caroline Elliot would suggest is we engage in these dynamics of constriction and punishment in our life. Like I will create the conditions. Like I will injure my ribs 3 times in a row in the first two months of my pole dancing journey so that I create the constriction of, no, don't do that. Don't be you. You, know, you don't get to be you. You see, I will co-create these conditions and I will feel victimized by them until I recognize that I actually want it that way. And I feel safer that way. So either I can create conscious conditions for my own submission and for the play of punishment, for example, or constriction, whether that's literal, or whether it's, you know, psychological with a partner, or I can play out these energies on the world stage (laughs) for you all. And, you know, the acknowledgement that we actually get off on our greatest struggles is something that I think, you know, Carolyn Elliott's work has helped me to help legitimize what I was already suspecting to be true. You know, she talks about how one of the things we can do to soothe ourselves when it comes to wealth expansion and making money is to assure ourselves that we can still, what does she say? Like work hard and struggle. Like, don't worry, don't worry, Kelly, you can still work hard and struggle even after you've made a million dollars, right? So we not only, it's not only, it's more than familiar, it's actually eroticized. And these transgressions, these struggles, when we recognize that they have been infused with erotic energy in our life space, that literally what it feels like in the pursuit of that kind of experience is erotic in nature. We have the opportunity to properly place these dynamics in the space of Are sexual relationships and primary partnerships. I'm going to pause here for a quick second. If you are into the topic of man, woman relating polarity and what the reclamation of Eros has to do with holistic health, then I invite you to check out and download my free ebook on the subject at the link below. And to also check out a blog I wrote that goes deeper into the subject of BDSM, some of the science supporting it and why these reframes and tools may be exactly what the world needs to move out of confusion, resentment, and victimhood, and into personal empowerment and pleasure. Hope that helps. So if there is a way for us to serve our essential natures, heal the trauma at the root of victim consciousness, and to experience transcendent embodiment all at the same time, I don't know sign me up. <laughs> and that's what I have found through BDSM and conscious kink. So I just came back from an intensive in Mexico with my teacher Om Rapani and you can enjoy my Reclamation Radio podcast interview with him and Lori Handlers who is a tantra teacher and it was one of the more challenging And of course, also then transformational experiences that I have had. And while we learned a lot of techniques around impact play, like spanking and also Shibari rope tie, the real expansion for me was in engaging the growth edge of my yes and my no. So the specifics of consent. And really owning that I have more work to do when it comes to exercising my no and specifically exercising no without a context of anger or adversarial energy, right? So this is, in my experience, what is most challenging for women is to access your no in a friendly environment, right? Without the bedrock of fuck you underneath it with just sort of like, no, this doesn't work for me and how to articulate that, right? So it requires that we resolve the appeasement impulse at the root of it. So I want to share with you what I have come to understand are the five Ways, and I'm sure there are many more, that BDSM can heal trauma. So number one is bolder self-expression. An essential aspect of self-actualization is self-approval. So it goes beyond self-acceptance. And I learned a phrase from Pani that I love and I pretty much use every day now, which is, Permission field, right? He talks about how what women want is, and arguably people, but I heard it as a woman, is a huge permission field. And that specifically what so many women have experienced in dysfunctional and toxic relationships in their history is a restricted permission field to be their full selves right? Which includes all their dark feminine, all their wild crazy, right? To be who it is, like what happens when your man sees all of you? Does he still want to hang? Can he still handle you? Or is he running for the hills or withdrawing or, you know, withholding love, affection and attention? So in this concept of a permission field is the freedom that is afforded to relax and release our old habits of trauma-based relating, right? So in this permission field, we can focus on being who it is that we are, but who it is in our totality, right? So it's almost like in, in the parts work world of there being no bad parts. How can it be okay for any weird taboo desire that you have, Semi or subconsciously eroticized, right? How can it be okay to bring that to the fore? How can anything that you express be welcome? And how can that containment, that grounding, present, attuned energy of the Dom be unwaveringly offered, right? So in these conditions, you know, men can relax the nice guy persona, right? Because that's not what's on order here, right? Connecting to their predator, connecting to their aggressor, connecting to their dark masculine energy is essential to doming well. And women can relax their, you know, sort of caretaking, like, oh, I wonder if he's bored. I wonder if he needs this. I wonder how it feels for him. Cause your role is actually to liberate the direct, spontaneous, and authentic expression of your energy, without running it through that filter of your old trauma-based reflexes, and what I experienced, even in this week-long, you know, intensive, was a huge permission field to basically let any freak flag fly. You know, that was interesting to explore. And I would say that the capacity for this approach to erotic relationship and dynamic to transform specific sexual traumas and abuse traumas in one's history, including physical and psychological abuse, is arguably unmatched by other trauma-based therapeutics. And that is because you can go back and say yes to experiences that you've had, right? Whether you were hit as a child or molested, you can go back and set a scene that embodies the experience of your victimization. And you can say yes to what was a no and probably lives in your body as a no, holding immense amounts of shame. So the shame alchemy potential, that becomes available when you construct a scene that visits with the complex energetics and power dynamics of a history of abuse. And you either, you know, through that scene, you express that no, you know, you kick, you punch, you push, or you acknowledge that there is, you know, latent pleasure and, you know, attention that is afforded through abuse. I mean, there's so much complexity in there. That's why most of the time it could never be resolved through talk therapy and through any therapeutic that is not somatically based, but to blend the psychology, the emotional safety conditions of security, and also the physical embodiment and experience of sensation and pleasure. It's alchemy it's true alchemy. So the opportunity for bolder self-expression can come from this permission field. And also from the experience of containment that is at the root of proper doming. Okay. So number two is communication and boundaries. So as I alluded to, you know, I've thought of myself as a good communicator As somebody who's pretty clear on what it is that she wants to say. However, the emotional layers of communication around boundaries, like for example, I had like immense discomfort in the early days of this intensive until I realized that there's like no actual problem if I'm just comfortable with my no, right? So that's why there are safe words in BDSM play is so that you don't have to. Do the socially conventional thing of like explaining why your no is a no, and maybe it's a no. Can you help me see if it's a no? A safe word, right? So let's say yellow or red. You just say it, and the boundary is set, right? So when we have boundaries and we know how to exercise them, every social situation is then comfortable, (laughs) like literally every and anyone, because we recognize that we are in possession of our power of choice. And there's not a problem here, right? So we don't actually need to play that game of like resenting other people or feeling disappointed or having high hopes that are then dashed, when we recognize that we are the ones in a position of control and there's not a problem with transgressing our boundaries because we have our boundaries in check, right? So most couples don't communicate about sexuality, about their preferences, about their want-tos, their willing-tos, and their won'ts until there is like a seeming conflict or inflammation in the dynamic. And BDSM affirms the power of proactively engaging in that kind of communication as the foundation to consent and the co-creation of safe conditions that allow for truly expansive play and connection. And that leads me to number three, which is that it is an opportunity to get high on your own supply and to experience true transcendence. So we spend so much of our lives in vigilant avoidance of our experience of embodied humanity. Like literally, if you look at your day, so much of your day is an experience of running from what it is to be with yourself. And so, you know, so we do the yoga and we do the meditation because there is this sense that being with ourselves holds a key to an experience of coming outside of ourselves, right? So it's this paradox, right? That you can enter through yourself to expand beyond yourself and in the dynamics that can be created through conscious kink and BDSM, you know, in the submissives experience, it is even, you know, psychomedically called hypofrontality. So you can enter into this experience of fading out of your normal vigilant state and into what has often been associated with the ecstatic experiences in plant medicine research or in meditation and other sorts of practices that offer this opportunity. And then for the Dom, it's often called a flow state, right? So how can you be embodied in such a way that you are in your mastery, right? You are in your experience of your own like zone of genius and that together you can, you know, as David Data would say, like find God through sex, And this is one of the reasons why pain play impact play. So things like spanking, for example, or flogging have a role is that many submissives describe their capacity to quiet their mind as being so much more readily available when their attention is focused on specific points of impact and even sensations that would be described as pain but that they are directing, right? So there's maybe a a 10 scale and they are deciding what zone of impact, like let's say six to eight that they're interested in. And then it is the Dom's responsibility, not only to stay within that zone, pre-consented zone, but also to actually enjoy it himself, right? So as you engage in this shared experience of focusing attention and probably releasing this inner pharmacopoeia of, you know, chemistry, if you want to call it that energetics, that is known it's well-known. I mean, one of the exercises that we did in practices in the intensive that I attended was to have someone just manipulate with like a knuckle, the angle of the jaw. And we would call out, you know, six, seven, eight, nine. And so we're instructed to keep it sort of like in the, I think seven to nine range and after minutes, it was like quite painful. And then the release of that, all of the people described feeling, you could feel it in the room. It was like this quiet came over the room and everyone was in an experience of pleasure. And it's not just that it's over, right? It's it's directly related to, and maybe even in proportion to the experience of so-called pain. So number four is increased intimacy. So when we look at so many of the habits of dysfunctional relating, we recognize that intimacy was actually never available in those spaces when there are appeasement strategies and control-based strategies, and there is the, you know, anxious avoidant dance, the performance. pressure that both parties experience makes it impossible for either person to actually be in their embodied humanity, to attune to their own needs, to read their own compass and to express authentically. When you're in your performer and you're trying to manipulate the dynamic by showing up in a certain way and ignoring and betraying yourself in the process, you're in this, I don't know, dynamic that is preclusive of actual intimacy and the vulnerability that is required the trust that is established when you show up your whole unmitigated self in a huge permission field that the culture of BDSM affords let alone the dynamic specifically the conditions for intimacy are set and you have an opportunity to actually relate without all of these you know old habits you know, cowering men and have henpecking women. You know, with all of that is relaxed, and you just show up in complementarity and the fulfillment of each other's needs as you're fulfilling your own. There is a beautiful experience that you know becomes available. And number five is simply improved well-being, right? So. If you followed my journey, you know that I have moved from the chopping wood and carrying water of lifestyle reclamation and self-care as the initiation to one's power of choice. But then what do you do with that choice, right? So once your, your body has been sent a signal of safety and your experience of your narrative as being somebody who is chronically ill, right, once all of that is behind you, then what are you going to do with all this freedom, right? And all this power? Well, your inner compass will lead you exactly where it is that you need to go. And it's a very archetypal journey, the one that I've been on, which is that the reclamation of one's sexuality from the caverns of societal and familial shame is an essential developmental process. You know, I've discussed Alexander Lowen's work and Fear of Life, a book that he wrote where he talks about how it is that we are, you know, really positioned in an adversarial dynamic toward our own vital force energy and our own sexual energy that begins to emerge in these very non-genital ways, right? So just the way that we sing and laugh and jump on the couch, the way that we are, smalled into a box and controlled behaviorally by our caregivers to suit their needs. And then the conditional access to love, approval, and acceptance is offered when we are fundamentally in violation of our own impulses in service of theirs. So the origins are rather commonplace. And what it is that we most struggle with often as adults is reclaiming our aliveness, having an honest Assessment of our own arousal and coming into the full embrace of ourselves as sexual beings, and how do we integrate that energy into the rest of our lives outside of the bedroom? This process is one of the only ways that true well being can be accessed. And so, if you are somebody who looks at your history and you see, wow, like there's a lot of trauma in my history, there's abuse in my history. And I have struggled to feel my whole self in my experience of sexuality. Then BDSM offers this immense playground of safe opportunities and structures to re-engage and reframe and re-experience that which was, you know, fodder for your own self-judgment and self-recrimination and self-rejection now as opportunities to really delight and play and expand into these transcendent spaces. So it really does offer the specific conditions of the transition from non-consensual domination to the reclamation of consensual domination. So given all of this, it is no surprise that aspects of BDSM are literally in the DSM-5, the psychiatric Bible of diagnosis and pathology as paraphilias. And so wouldn't it be funny if the age-old technology of consensual erotic relationship that has this inbuilt capacity to actualize and support the well being of the participants would be so maligned, and that the intentional exploration would be in so many ways inverted as something that only like sick, weird people do, when this is actually a path forward for so many of us. The system would love to remain in charge of determining who's been a bad girl and who hasn't and who gets what punishment, but wouldn't it be better to empower your man to do that for you? So I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope it's brought you close to some edges of your comfort so that you can continue to expand into the specific pleasure of who it is that you are. See you next time.